Hey, this is Julie Mullins, co-senior pastor here at Christ Fellowship Church right here in South Florida. Whether you're across the street or across the world, thank you for taking time out of your busy week to join us for this message. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you to get more out of life. Have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? Like you fell off something, you got hit by something, and you were gasping for air. You ever been there? Happened to me a few times uh, when I was younger. I remember when I was in high school and they had this one football drill that they put us into. It was called the bullpen or it was called the bull in the pen. Either way it goes. Get bullpen. Remember that dad? They would take one guy, stick him in the middle of the circle of the team and the coach would blow the whistle and shout out a number or a name. And one of the guys would run as fast as they could to try to hit that guy in the middle as hard as they could. And everybody loved that drill, except the guy in the middle. And I remember when I was the guy in the middle, the times I got in there, I was terrorized. I mean, it still marks me to this day. And one time, uh, I remember the name being called and I couldn't see where it was coming from. And out of nowhere, I got nailed and I got thrown to the ground and tackled hard and I lost my breath. The wind was knocked out of me. And I was sitting there, gasping for air, thinking I'm going to die right here on the football field in front of my entire team. I am, I'm going to die. Well, as you can tell, I didn't die. Just took me a minute. I had to, had to relax. I had to catch my breath and then I had to get back up on my feet. As I was thinking about this weekend and this new season that we are kicking off, I realized that some of us have been knocked down to the ground. Some of us have had the wind knocked out of us. Something hit you and you didn't see it coming and it's thrown you to the ground and some of us are still on the ground. And I'm here today to tell you it is time to get up. You're gonna be okay. You're gonna catch your breath. You're not gonna die. It may feel like you're dying, but you're not dying. You're gonna be okay. You're gonna get through this. And I feel like the Lord just wanted you to hear me say it. It's gonna be okay. And you may say, well, Todd, how do you know it's gonna be okay? Because the Bible says it's going to be okay. God's word teaches us it's going to be okay. And there is a story in the Old Testament that I have never preached out of that the Lord laid upon my heart for this weekend. It is found in 1 Samuel chapter 30. It's about a guy who had his breath knocked out of him. He was down and it didn't look like he was going to get back up. Not after this. Not after what happened here. I'm talking about David. The same guy that went up against Goliath, but this is gonna be years after that. And, and David is out in the wilderness with his 600 men. He's got 600 mighty warriors and their family that are on the run from King Saul. So they're trying to avoid King Saul and his army, and they're fighting battles left and right. And the story picks up with, with these 600 mighty men and David coming back after a several month military campaign. They had lots of victories, man. They were, were celebrating on the way home, a little tired and looking forward to some rest and relaxation at home. But as they're heading towards home and they're getting close, they see, they see smoke billowing up on the horizon and it's coming from the place of their hometown, Ziglag. And, and fear and panic begin to wash over them as they're thinking, is there a problem at home? And their heart begins to race as they pick up their pace and they run home only to see that the entire town has been burned to the ground and everybody is gone. Their wives and their children are gone. All their possessions are gone. And it says that they sat down and bitterly wept until they had no strength left within them. And then in verse six, it says this. 
David was also greatly distressed for the people talked of stoning him because all the people were bitter in spirit, each over his sons and daughters, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. So get the picture, this, this horrible disaster came to them out of nowhere. Everything that they loved and held dear was gone, like wiped out. And they're sitting here grieving and then they turn on David who is also grieving as well. I mean, he's dealing with, with his own loss. And those that were closest to him actually turn on him. He had to be thinking, are you kidding me? Like, you're really gonna blame me for all of this? But the truth is, it's human nature to blame somebody, right? Like, we, we gotta blame somebody for our problems. We gotta blame our parents for our problems. We gotta blame our spouse for our, gotta blame the president or somebody. We gotta, we, where we blame God for our problems? God, why are you letting that happen to me? And sometimes we turn and start blaming ourselves. Well, if I had only been there, if I had only done better, if I had only not done that, and we just pile on the blame and the shame, can I just tell you that nobody wins when you play the blame game? There are no winners. So while all this is going on, look at what, again, at verse six, at the end of it, it says, but David. David, was, David wasn't playing that game. David was different. David actually did something different in the middle of his pain. It says, why don't you say it with me? But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Say that again. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Yeah, David grieved, sure. He was brokenhearted, absolutely. But he didn't stay there. He actually encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Notice that he encouraged him. He wasn't waiting on anybody else to do it. He didn't have anybody else to do it. He so he had to encourage himself in the Lord. Can I just tell you, you better learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. Because there are gonna be some days when you is all you got. There's nobody around you to pump you up and pray for you and encourage you. So you better know how to spiritually encourage yourself in the Lord. So how do you do that, Todd? Well, we know how David did it because we have the whole book of Psalms. and the book of Psalms, many of those were written by, by David when he was facing difficult situations, overwhelming problems. In Psalm 42, he says, why so downcast? Oh, my soul, put your hope in God. Like, I know it's looking bad. I know the situation around is pretty sad, but, but look up to God. We, we know he says in Psalm 34, I cried out to the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Not just some of my fears, all my fears. And we know in Psalm 23, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. So he's gonna lead me when I don't know which way to go. You're my shepherd, so you're gonna show me which way to go. David encouraged himself in the Lord. He was reminding himself who God is, what God has done, what God can do again. I mean, you know he had to be thinking back and going, oh God, I remember when, when, when that lion came after me. I remember when that bear came after me and my sheep and, and the power of God came on me and I took them out. I remember when I was up against Goliath, man, he was big and hairy, but Lord, you were bigger than him. I don't know if you're hairy, but you were bigger than Goliath. And God, you are bigger than this problem I'm facing. You're bigger than any problem I'm gonna face. He was encouraging himself in the Lord. We also know that the Psalms were songs. Many of them were put to to music. And do you know that when we worship together, 
Whether you're alone or we come together to worship together, we're doing the same things. We are encouraging ourselves in the Lord. Worship is not a warm-up. The first 20 minutes of church that some of y'all miss, hey, you, that, you, that, that's not a warm-up for the Word. That is the Word of God. That is the Word of God. Put to music so you can remember it. So when you're on Monday and you're facing that problem and you got that issue at work on Wednesday, man, that little song gets in your spirit of who God is and what He can do. Every time we worship God, we are encouraging ourselves in the Lord. That's why when, when we sing, I'm gonna see a victory, I'm gonna see a victory because the battle belongs. When we sing that, it's not because we're trying to remind God that the battle belongs to him. We're reminding ourselves. The battle belongs to God. So he's gonna, we got a victory coming, man. It is coming, that's why I can see it. When we declare he parts the sea so we can walk right through it, it's not to remind him of what he did. It's to remind us of what he can do. It encourages us in the Lord. You need to learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. This past week I was facing a couple situations that just started to weigh down on me, kind of heavy. And I, I felt myself kind of getting under it. And I, was, I wasn't sure what to do. And I was kind of, kind of praying, but it just wasn't. I went, so I, I turned on my iPhone and I opened up my, my Apple Music and I pressed on a song I'd only heard one other time. Jefferson had played it for me. And it was Maverick City's um, A Million Little Miracles. I don't know if you heard that one or not before but it just talks about the blessings of God and just starts reviewing all the goodness of God and the times that God has been there for us. And then it's like, count your blessings and count those little miracles. One, two, three, four, I can't even count them all. And before I was done listening to that song, I'm sitting in the car bawling. Man, I'm just so encouraged by all the good things of God in my life. Can I tell you, my situation did not change. My problem was still there, but I wasn't looking at my problem anymore. I wasn't focused on my problem. I was focused on the goodness of God and the mercy of God. And all of a sudden, I had encouraged myself in the Lord. Some of you, you better learn. I'm just warning you as your pastor, you better learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. You need to get on and download some worship music and get rid of some of those other songs you've been listening to. You know which ones. Don't get me started. They are not helping you walk the walk God's got for you. And you need to learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. Some of the versions that you might have of that scripture says David strengthened himself in the Lord. The Hebrew word can either be interpreted as he encouraged himself or he strengthened himself. Either way it works, right? He strengthened himself. He, he, went, from, he went from being weak and worn out to being strong in the spirit of the Lord. And I want you to know he did not strengthen himself on Jack Daniels. Getting one more drink. He didn't strengthen himself with two pints of Ben and Jerry's or a couple hours in front of Netflix. No, no, no. He turned to the one that could actually do something about his problem. He got on his face before the Lord. See, I believe that too many of us are turning to the wrong source when we're running on empty. We're looking for something temporary to give us a temporary fix. And that's all we get when we look to the temporary. But can I tell you, there is nothing temporary about what God does. Man, God sustains, God strengthens, God provides, God makes a way where there seems to be no way. So if you've been knocked down today, it's time to get up, strengthen yourself in the Lord. So what David did, 
And then after he was stronger, it says he went to the Lord and verse eight asked God, shall I pursue this raiding party and will I overtake them? Pursue them, the Lord answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Valley where, they, where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to even cross the valley. But David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. I don't have time to go into it, but there's some people and some things you gotta leave behind so you can get back what God has for you. If you keep dragging them around, you're never gonna get where you need to go. God's got places for you to go. He's got things for you to do. But if you're dragging some baggage around with you, you're never gonna catch up. You're never gonna make it. But that's not my message. So David asked God, he said, should I go and pursue them? And all he got back in an answer was, get up and go. He didn't get much direction. He, he, didn't, he wasn't told which way to go. He was just told, it's time to go. He wasn't told what to expect along the journey. He was just told, get up and go. See, that's the problem because many of us, we want the full download. Like, God, I gotta know how this is all gonna end. Like, I, I wanna know all the details. No, brother, you cannot handle all the details, which is why God only gives you go. He gives you what you can handle. He gives you what you can obey in faith. And so you step out and you go. See, I'm afraid there are too many people waiting on God, but God is actually waiting on you to get up and go, to go after that job, to go after that broken relationship, to go get your joy back, to go get your peace back, to go get your family back that the devil has been trying to tear apart. You just gotta get up and go get it. It's not gonna fall in your lap. You gotta go get it. It's on you. Notice in this story, God didn't say, David, just hang out in Ziglag. I'll go get it for you. I'll bring it back. You know, I'll just have the Amalekites. No, no, no. God didn't, God didn't do that. God told David, it's time for you to leave Ziglag. And as I was praying for you this week, I felt like the Lord just laid it on my heart that there's somebody that's been hanging out in Ziglag for far too long. You've been hanging out where there's been sorrow and disappointment and loss, and you've been staying in that loss. You've been staying in that sadness, and it's weighing you down and keeping you down. And God wants to say to you, it's time for you to get up and leave Ziglag. You're never gonna get what God's got for you if you hang out in Ziglag. You gotta get up and go. So David, with nothing more than a get up and go, got up and went. And as he's heading out, he finds this Egyptian in a field. Verse 11, they found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. And they gave him water to drink and food to eat and a part of a cake, pressed figs, two cakes of raisins. I think they were writing all this in here to understand, help us understand. They, 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 they took time to care for this guy. They actually gave him their best. He ate and was revived for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. And David asked him, who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I had become ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Keratites, some of the territory belonging to Judah, the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag. Oh, no, you didn't. Yeah, you did. And David, notice he doesn't get angry. He just says, can you lead me down to this raiding party? So this is an amazing little thickening of the plot here. David is on this mission to go rescue his family and you know he was in a hurry because they could be in trouble. But he stops to take care of a stranger in a field who is dying. Why would he allow 
this destruction? Why would he give in to this delay? Why wouldn't he just move past it? Maybe because what we see as a destruction, God sees as giving direction. Maybe the very thing we're trying to move past is the very thing God is trying to give us, but we miss the miracle because we're in too much of a hurry and we run right past his provision. Well, what could this man actually do to help David? I mean, he's got no food, no resources, no apparent abilities. He's the most unlikely person that can help David with his problem. I would encourage you, don't overlook the people in your life that God has sovereignly placed in your life. People that on the outside might seem ordinary, but God wants to use them in an extraordinary way when he begins to weave their story and your story together. So this Egyptian leads David and the mighty men to where the Amalekite camp is. And when David gets there, he sees they're having this party and David sees it's an opportunity to attack. And so they fight from dusk all through the night, all through the next day to the evening of the following day. So they're worn out, but they're still fighting. There's, there's a message in that right there. Some of us get so tired and so worn out, but you gotta, you gotta buckle up and get ready, even after you've been through it. David had that opportunity to seize, to get back what was his. So they fought, and it says at the end, they got all their stuff back. All their women, all the children, all their possessions, everything was given back to them. So, so Todd, how does this story pertain to us today? I want you to think about a couple things that the enemy stole from them. First, the enemy stole their joy and their peace. As soon as they showed up at Ziglag, what happened, man? They went into deep depression and sorrow. Man, their joy, their celebration coming back and beginning ready to come to home with their families, man, was robbed from them. And they go into deep agony and suffering, but they get their joy back. At the end of the story, their, their deep grief turns to great joy. And I'm reminded of Psalm 30, verse five, that says, weeping may last or endure for the night, but say that last part with me, but joy comes in the morning. Yes, it does. And I wanna tell somebody it's morning time. It's time to wake up. Your joy is right here for you, but you have gotta go get it. Second thing I saw was that they took his, their possessions. The enemy had come in and taken what was theirs, what was rightfully theirs, their enemy had illegally taken but they got it all back. At the end of the story, they not only got back everything that the enemy had taken, but they actually got more because the Amalekites had taken from lots of people. And after the Amalekites were destroyed, David's men got all of it. And you can read the story where he doesn't keep it all. Man, he sends it back to people and he builds relationships and he gives to those in need because generosity is so much the heart of God. But they got back more. And I started thinking about a verse in Joel chapter two where God is actually talking about restoring what was lost to his children. And he says in verse 24 that the threshing floors will again be piled high with grain and the presses will overflow with, with new wine and olive oil and I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Some of you, the locusts have eaten up all your stuff. Man, you come through a season where, where everything's been eaten up and you've suffered such loss, maybe financial loss, maybe a job loss, a, maybe the company that you built is falling apart before your eyes, I wanna tell you and declare it's time for you to get it back. It's time for you to get out of Ziglag and go get it back in Jesus' name. And the third thing I see that the enemy took, which was the most important, was the lost relationships. The families of David and his men were lost. 
The enemy had separated the relationships. And some of you, your enemy has attacked your home or your family or a friendship in this season and he's broken off that relationship. And I wanna tell you, our God is a God that is all about relationship. That's what matters to him, a relationship with you and that you have life-giving, healthy, strong, beautiful relationships within your family and within your friend circles, that, 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 that God is breathing a blessing on your relationships. And I was reminded of a verse in Malachi that says God is gonna turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of their children back to their parents. That is a promise that some of you need to hold on to today. You need to memorize that one. But here's the point of the message. Here's what I want you to see. And if you only get one thing today, get this, that the only way you're gonna get any of that back, the only way that you're gonna get back anything that the enemy has taken from you is you've gotta get up and go fight for it. You've gotta say, I am fighting for what's mine. I'm not gonna let the enemy rob me anymore. David had to fight for it. God said go, but David had to fight. God didn't drop it in his lap. No, David had to get up and fight for it. Some of you are, are walking around going, where's my joy? Oh gosh, everything's so hard after this pandemic and things just aren't back to normal and it's just so hard. You need to go after your joy. Some of you are wondering, where's your peace? Because right now you're just so anxious about everything and your job and your future. And should I sell the house or not sell the house? Should we buy or rent or what? I don't know what to do with my life. Oh, how about you fight for your peace? Some of you have lost a relationship and you've just gone, well, no, no. How about we fight for the relationship? How about we go and say, no, no, this is important to God, so I'm getting it back. I'm gonna fight for it. So how do you fight for it, Todd? I'm glad you asked. I wanna get real specific and practical here in this, these last few minutes. Around joy, peace, and relationships, how you fight for it. First, how you fight for your joy. And I can share this out of a personal place over these last several months. This has been a battle that I have learned how to fight in this season because before I didn't have to fight this battle. First thing you have to realize when you're fighting for your joy is that joy is a part of the fruit of the spirit. It's actually a, a, a byproduct of living a spirit-filled life. So if I'm struggling with my joy, I realize I have to go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I probably need to turn something over to you because if you're ruling and reigning in my life, then I'm not gonna be struggling with joy. So is there any area of my life that you need to take control over? Is there any area I've taken back control over? And by the way, every time I pray that prayer, God has something to say to me, every time. If I wait long enough, he's gonna point out one or two things that, that I need to surrender. Now, it's not about me getting more of the Holy Spirit, it's about the Holy Spirit getting more of me. And me saying, Holy Spirit, come and fill me over again. Let your presence rule and reign. Make me sensitive to your voice. Help me to hear and be in step and in sync with you. So the first thing is I have to recognize that it's a byproduct, it's a fruit of the Spirit of God. Second thing is I have to look for the things that are robbing me of joy. What are those things that rob you of joy? I had to get a different perspective on those situations. Like Todd, is it really gonna matter 20 years from now that that guy on I-95 is driving 45 miles an hour? Is it really gonna matter that, that that thing you ordered didn't come in time or that thing you needed to get done, that person didn't get done in time? Is all of this stuff that is robbing you of joy, does it really matter? And when I ask myself that question, most of the time it's like, no, it doesn't. I need to change my perspective on this thing. And then I need to turn back on my Maverick City 
And I need to count the million little miracles. One, two, three, four. I can't even count them all. And my joy comes back. But I have to fight for it. You gotta fight to get your joy back. The second thing you gotta fight is for peace. And you've gotta put up a fight to get your peace back. We live in a world right now where people are anxious and worried and, and that anxiety can get on us. I'm gonna give you a simple formula of how I fight every time to get my peace back. It is found in Philippians 4, 6, 7, and 8. And you gotta memorize this and you gotta put it into action. This is what it says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? Everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he has done. That's just prayer. Then, as a result, you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and our minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This is a biblical formula for peace right here. If you can worry, you can have peace, right? You take that worry, he says, and turn it upside down into a prayer. You just take whatever it is. You start worrying about your kids. God, okay, I'm gonna pray about my kids right now because I'm a little worried about it. But God, you can see them and watch out for them. You're worried about finances? Don't worry about it does no good whatsoever. Jesus said you don't get to add one hour to your day by worry. But if you take that worry and you turn it into a prayer and say, God, I understand that every good thing comes from your hand. You are Jehovah Jireh. You're my provider. So I'm going to trust you with this need. Here it is. And you give it to God. The Bible says, then the peace of God will rule your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. But you got to fight because when those worrisome thoughts come in, man, you got to take them captive and you got to cast them on Jesus because he cares for you. Third, relationships. How do you fight for relationships? And there are a lot of ways that a relationship can get turned upside down. And I don't expect to be able to handle this in two minutes. But if I could give you one thought to how you fight for a relationship that's been hurting or broken or the enemy's getting in and kind of twisting it upside down, man, I would tell you this just get really good at forgiving. Get really good at forgiving. My wife, Julie, says that um, any great relationship is made up of two really great forgivers. Like, just get good at it. Just as soon as the offense happens, I'm like, oh, that's good. I'm sure they didn't mean it, right? And if you get good at two things, both quickly forgiving, but also seeking forgiveness, that you humble yourself and go, you know, I'm sorry for what I did. I, I know I probably wasn't right. Listen, hey, reconciliation is more important than being right. Sometimes we are so up in trying to prove we're right, even in friendships or in marriage, we're like, you can be so right, you're wrong. Do you know that? Like you can be so right, but the relationship is strained that you're wrong, right? Your attitude is wrong. The way you're going about it is wrong. It's not mending the relationship together. But what if you say, hey, I'm gonna humble myself and I'm gonna take the first step. I heard somebody once say that um, whoever, takes, whoever apologizes first is the bravest. Whoever forgives first is the strongest, and whoever forgets first, the first to forget, is the happiest. Let's fight for our relationships. One last thought from this story, and then we're gonna pray. As I reread this story again several times this week, I realized that David didn't go fight alone. He didn't try to do this on his own. He didn't try to get back all his stuff on his own. In fact, none of the men went on their own. If they had gone on their own, they they would have failed, but they went together. And let me tell you, there is power in together. Something happens when we come together. 
when we're not fighting alone or fighting against each other, but when we're fighting side by side, we're not dealing with our own discouragement and disappointment on our own, but we got a brother or sister there right with us. And I want you to know that God has put people all around you. Look at this verse in, in uh, Ecclesiastes. You know it, Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. But if one person falls and the other can reach out and, and but if, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble, right? You weren't created to go it alone. God doesn't want you to go alone. You won't make it alone. And around here, you hear us talk a lot about grouping up, that you gotta group up so you can get up, man. You gotta group up so you can get the life that God has for you. You won't get it on your own. You're gonna get it in community. And do you know that even this summer, we have groups that are starting up this weekend across all of our campuses and Christ Fellowship everywhere. And even if you're gonna travel this summer and be gone, you can still stay connected with a group through Christ Fellowship everywhere. Man, you don't need to be disconnected. If there's ever a time to group up, it's when you're going into battle to get something that belongs to you. And this is a season that I believe God is calling us to step in to victory and claim back what he has given us. Listen, being knocked down is not the same as being knocked out. You might be down, but you're not out. You're only out if you give up. And I'm not gonna let you give up. That's why I believe the Lord told me today to tell you it's time to get up and take back and fight for what is yours. I wanna pray two prayers today as we close. I wanna pray the first prayer that all of us will get up that we won't allow whatever's happened to us or the situations around us to keep us down, but we'll get up and we'll get ready to fight for what's ours. Second prayer I wanna pray, are for those of you that you need Jesus to step into your life and make everything right. Like there's a lot of problems going on in your life, but you've never turned your life over to Jesus. That second prayer is so important for you today. The only way you're gonna win, the only way you're gonna get true peace and true joy is in relationship with Jesus. And if that relationship isn't where it needs to be, that second prayer is gonna be for you. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father God, we thank you for the reminder in this word that we are called to get up from wherever we are and go get what is rightfully ours. And I pray this week, Lord, that we would not settle for less, that we will not let the enemy rob and keep our joy and our peace or destroy our families or relationships, but we will rise up and go get what is ours in Jesus' name. Give us a determination. Let it be a holy determination on your people. As we continue to pray with every head bowed, if you're here today and you would say, Todd, that second prayer is probably for me because I don't know if my relationship with Jesus is really where it needs to be, but I want him to step into my life and make everything new then would you, would you just raise your hand right where you are and just say, Todd, would you include me in this prayer? This prayer is for me. And if you want all of Jesus has for you, just raise your hand up. That's it, hold it up high. All across the room, we're gonna pray this prayer out loud, but those of you with your hands up, this is your prayer. Just pray this, say, dear Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins. Make everything new on the inside of me. And I will follow you the best I know how for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you help me thank God for all those that made that decision today?
Thank you again for spending time with us today. If you're looking to take a step in discovering the more that God has in store for you, just text the word podcast to the number 441-441 and then select the option that applies to you. And if you enjoyed this message, just make sure that you subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. A special thanks to all of you who so generously give to all that God is calling us to do together. It's really because of you that everything we do is possible. We'll see you right back here for next week's message.